1942. Adolf Hitler sends a U-boat dangerously close to the shore of Long Island. Four Nazi saboteurs emerge. Their mission? Break into the secret sub-basement below Grand Central Station to destroy the generators that power every train going in and out of New York. Which makes me wonder... Why, 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 why is this not a movie? Hello and welcome to Why Is This Not a Movie, a podcast where we look at a moment in history or a book or a story we can rip from the headlines and ask Hollywood why no one's ever put it onto the big screen. I'm Mike Vago, author and regular contributor to the AV Club, and this week's movie idea comes from close to home. My wife, Lorraine Freeney, is a writer who, among other things, writes back cover copy for books. She was working on an upcoming book about Nikola Tesla, and in her research came across a story about how Tesla invented the converter between AC electricity, which he also invented, and DC, which Edison invented, and how AC-DC converters in a secret cave under Grand Central Station ran every train in and out of New York City, and how during World War II, Nazis snuck into New York to try to blow it up. I'd been talking about this podcast, but hadn't really done anything yet, but Lorraine read the idea and said out loud, why is this not a movie? Movie! And convinced me both that I should go ahead with the podcast, and that I needed to devote an episode of Nazi saboteurs in Grand Central Station. So let's start with the real-life history. After losing World War I, Germany was forbidden to form an intelligence agency, so naturally they did so immediately. The Abwehr, which by the time Hitler came to power, was folded into the Wehrmacht, German's military machine. They spied on Norway and Denmark to lay the groundwork for invasion. They stole British codes and sent fake messages to try to sabotage the Allied war effort. They had inside men and American arms manufacturers. And they planned to send German agents to the United States in secret to spend several years living as ordinary Americans while secretly carrying out Operation Pastorius, a campaign of sabotage against key civilian targets. So on June 12, 1942, the U-202, a German sub, landed at Amagensett, New York, on Long Island. Four Nazis came ashore. One of the team, Herbert Haupt, was already an American citizen. The other three, George Dash, Richard Quirin, and Heinrich Heink, planned to get jobs and blend into American life when they weren't busy causing mayhem for the Third Reich. They leave the submarine carrying fake ID, $175,000 in American money, and a cache of explosives to carry them through a planned two-year campaign of terror, which they bury on the beach. They wear German naval uniforms, so if they get caught, they'll be prisoners of war instead of spies, which is convenient because they get caught immediately. They're still on the beach when John Cullen, a Coast Guardsman, sees the four of them, and they quickly realize Nazi uniforms may not have been the best way to blend in on Long Island. Dash offers them a bribe of $260. I assume most of the 175 grand was buried along with their explosives, but even so, Dash decided not to be a big spender with a guy who could have them executed by a military tribunal. Cullen isn't impressed, but there are four Nazis, and Cullen's alone and unarmed. So he takes the money, pretends to go along with them, but as soon as he can get away, calls the FBI. As the Germans are taking a train into Manhattan, a manhunt is already underway. The Germans' destination and their first target? Grand Central Station. This isn't widely known by the public then or now, but Grand Central has two million square feet of basement space, among the most in the city, and those basements go deep. Ten stories below street level, carved directly into the bedrock, is sub-basement M42, which houses the rotary converters that power the station and the electrified tracks that pass through it. M42 was so secret it was left off the blueprints for the building, and to this day its exact location is known only to a few high-level Grand Central employees. However, it's not so secret you can't see pictures. In 2015, Gothamist's Jen Carlson interviewed Dan Brucker, the MTA's docent-in-chief, about M42. A docent is a museum guide, and New York's transit grid has so much history, it effectively serves as a museum of public transportation. Brucker let Carlson and a photographer into M42. You can see photos along with the article. I'll put a link up on our Twitter feed. Now, why is this room so secret and so important? Because until recently, it was the power station that ran every train that came to New York. 
M42 housed the rotary converters that changed AC electricity to DC by some magic I don't pretend to understand. AC is the system Tesla invented, which allows electricity to be transported over long distances without losing much juice. DC is Edison's system that lets you adjust the amount of current, but would bleed power the longer the power lines were. Grand Central was set up so that AC could come in from a power plant across town without wasting electricity, then get converted to DC, which lets you control the speed of the trains by turning the voltage up and down. So the AC-DC converters were the linchpin of the whole system. Shut them down, and you shut down every train coming in and out of New York. It would be a blow to the U.S. economy, and more importantly to Hitler, hinder troop movements across the entire eastern seaboard. 80% of troops and materiel for the war came through Grand Central at some point. And destroying the converters was easy. You didn't need bombs or complicated equipment. Just sand. Pour a bag of sand in one of the rotary generators, the gears grind, the equipment is destroyed, and America's most important transportation hub goes dark. And someone who had worked there, one of the few people who knew where M42 was and how important it was, had quit his job, moved to Germany, and gave this crucial intelligence to Hitler. So what happens when the Nazis try and carry out their plan? Here's where it gets wild. There are two conflicting stories. Let's start with the less fun one. Michael Dobbs' 2007 book, Saboteurs, the Nazi Raid in America, details our force from landing on Long Island, but says they then left to meet up with four other Nazi saboteurs who had different submarine dropped off in Florida. Before their campaign of terror was to begin, they started off at the logical midpoint between New York and Florida, Cincinnati. They stayed in a hotel to plan their exploits, and one night Dash called Berger into his room and said, We need to talk. And if we disagree about this, one of us is going out the door and one of us is going through the window. Dash confessed that he hated Nazism, hated Hitler, didn't believe in the plan, and wanted to defect. Lucky for whichever hotel worker would have had to replace that window, Berger agreed. Dash called the FBI, and despite the earlier manhunt in New York, they didn't believe him. So he took a train to Washington, D.C., went to the FBI in person, and convinced them by showing them the $84,000 in cash that he had left to fund the operation. The other saboteurs didn't know they'd been ratted out, and within two weeks they were all arrested. FDR had them tried by a military tribunal and executed, while Berger and Dash's sentences were commuted, and Harry Truman deported them back to West Germany after the war, where they were given whatever the opposite of a hero's welcome is, given they had ratted out their fellow Germans. So that's one story where you could probably make a tense, low-budget two-hander set in that hotel room where Dash risks his life by laying it all on the line for Berger. We never see the plan set in motion. We never get to Grand Central. So here's the other story. As Dan Brucker, the MTA historian Gotham has talked to, tells it, the saboteurs surfaced on Long Island, took a train to Grand Central, and immediately went to work. But they made a fatal mistake. They checked their luggage. Because the manhunt was already underway, Grand Central was searching everyone's luggage. The Nazi luggage had something that tipped off the FBI, and they simply waited for the Nazis to come back for their bags and arrested them on the spot. Once arrested, Dash and Berger immediately gave up the ghost and outlined the whole operation for the FBI, which is why they weren't executed alongside their comrades. Now, it's possible both stories are true. Maybe our Nazis hit Long Island, drop off their bags at Grand Central, go to Cincinnati to avoid the manhunt and meet up the Florida team. Dash confronts Berger. The team goes back to Grand Central, get caught immediately, and Dash and Berger attempt to defect then. But either way, you miss out on an actual mission to break into the secret basement of Grand Central, which would have been the 1940s version of the vault in Mission Impossible or the casino in Ocean's Eleven. Because America understood exactly how important and vulnerable M42 was, it was protected by armed soldiers with orders to shoot on sight anyone who was carrying a bag of sand. Did the Nazis have a plan to get past those guards? Could they even find the sub-basement room? Maybe the FBI knows, but we don't. So now we get to the crux of any movie based on real history. How close to the real history do we want to hew? We could do that tense two-hander where the Nazis decided to defect. We could do a Coen Brothers-style incompetent criminals comedy, focusing on the fact that they got 50 feet onto American soil before being caught by the Coast Guard, and then they put whatever equipment they planned to use in their sabotage and suitcases and just handed them over to Grand Central Station staff. 
Or we can go full and glorious bastards and just ignore real history in favor of what's a cool story. Now, maybe we don't go full, full and glorious bastards and end up with Grand Central blowing up and the Nazis winning. But I'd like to go maybe half and glorious bastards. What if the saboteurs did carry out their plan? They do sneak into Grand Central, and in the middle of it, Dash and Berger decided to defect. Then you've got a plot within a plot as the defectors try not to get caught by their fellow Nazis, even as the Nazis are trying not to get caught by the FBI, and you get to set the bulk of the story in Grand Central itself as they're getting closer and closer to the secret basement. So we've got Nazis inside Grand Central Station, the FBI and the station staff trying to catch them, and then two of the Nazis running their own plot within a plot to defect. Is there anything better than a plot within a plot? There is not. It's science. So that's our movie. Let's talk about who should make it for us after this quick message. Like talking about movies that actually do exist? Check out thesolute.com, a movie website made by movie lovers for movie lovers. They review a new movie, sure, but they also explore movie history with features like Year of the Month, where they revisit the best from one particular year, or Attention Must Be Paid, which spotlights an underappreciated actor, or Celebrate the Living, an obituary-style celebration of the life and career of someone who's thankfully still with us. No ads, no fees, just a passion project by a bunch of movie lovers. That's The Solute. T-H-E-S-O-L-U-T-E dot com. And we're back to talk about who should make this movie. I'd love to see Dennis Villanueva bring the tension he brought to Cesario and the visual flair of his sci-fi stuff, but he's going to be busy with Dune for some time, and at this point, this feels like a small movie for someone who's moved on to big sci-fi epics. Tony Gilroy, who wrote the Bourne series, directed Michael Clayton, State of Play, Nightcrawl, and Rogue One, he certainly got the chops, although he's currently showrunning an upcoming Star Wars series for Disney+, Plus. so who knows if we can ever pry him out of the gears of the Disney machine. So how about the Safdie brothers? They're New Yorkers, their 2017 Palm d'Or nominee Good Time was a great character-driven crime thriller, and this thing's satisfying about Jewish directors telling the story of a Nazi plot being foiled. And they could make this thing look great without a big budget, I'm sold. So now let's cast this thing. For the saboteurs, we need some blonde and convincing Nazi supermen. So for Dash, let's start with the most German-sounding person I could think of, Alden Ehrenreich. I think he deserves a heist movie where he doesn't have to stop every few minutes to explain some minor biographical detail of Han Solo's life. Who else is blonde and good at playing evil? How about Draco Malfoy himself, Tom Felton, as Berger? Next, I've got Lucas Till. He played Havoc in the X-Men movies, but more relevant, he stars in the reboot of MacGyver. Who better to play a saboteur? Let's make him Quirin. And around at the quartet, David Cross. No, not Mr. Show, Arrested Development, David Cross. David Cross with a K, a German actor who's appeared in two dozen movies in The Fatherland, but was also in War Horse and The Reader here in the States. Thought we should get at least one bona fide German in there for Heinrich Heink. Now, what about the non-Nazi part of the cast? We've got a lot of freedom here because the roles of the FBI and the employees of Grand Central who foil the plot are unwritten, so we can stack the cast with our favorite underappreciated character actors. How about Stephen Toblowski as the head of Grand Central Security, who didn't expect to deal with anything worse than pickpockets and now has to save the entire American war effort? He's working with two cops who were turned down by the army for various reasons and now finally have their chance to step up and fight some Nazis. How about John Bernthal, who played the Punisher in the TV series? He's from Washington, D.C. by way of Moscow, but he makes her a great beaten-up old New York tough guy. Let's pair him up with Adam Goldberg, who showed a little bit of menace in Fargo. Plus, I feel like we need a Jew who's just itching to take down Hitler face-to-face and is frustrated being stuck at home. And let's see if we can fit beloved character actress Margot Martindale in there somewhere. She runs the baggage claim, and she and co-worker CCH Pounder have to steal themselves for a confrontation with some Nazis who are coming back for more than just their luggage. Maybe one more good guy? Jeremy Harris didn't get much to do on Legion. Let's give him the role of a wounded soldier coming back from the war who just wants to get home, but gets roped into one last fight against the enemy. So that's our movie. Thanks to Lorraine Freeney for the idea and Nick Zeno from the Department of Tangents podcast for some advice on getting started. If you have any thoughts about how to improve our Nazi saboteur movie or ideas for other movies that need to get made, hit us up on Twitter at WhyMovie. You can find my column wiki wormhole on the AV Club every Sunday. You can order my first novel, Self-Destructible, from your local bookstore. Stay safe out there, wear a mask, wash your hands, keep yourself sane. We'll be back next time on... Why is this not a movie?
Part of the Subject Podcast Network. Find other lesser podcasts, radio shows, articles, and more at subjectmedia.org.